This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show on this Tuesday. Hope you're going to have a... A great day. I know it's a limited day. Everything is uh, uh, an audible, let's say, if I can use the football vernacular. Remember, there was a time in which we did play football, uh, or at least practice. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be with us, and Pete Hegseth will be also on the show today. And I want you on the show. 1-866-408-7669. The President of the United States is going to be talking to uh, Tim Cook today, among so many business owners. They talk about reopening the country, and it'll be a Zoom call. I hope he brings up what goes on with Apple refused to do. Did you hear about this? Remember that shooting in Pensacola? It turns out the guy's Al-Qaeda. He was shooting up, uh, killed four people on military bases. We were training him, and he, of course, was cavorting with Al-Qaeda, and his phone revealed that he had contact with Al-Qaeda leadership. Nice. Do you know it took four months to find that out? Because Apple would not cooperate? Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. Mr. President, open up on this guy. Uh, Meanwhile... Uh, we have a, a lot going on in the pandemic, a lot going on as it relates to the World Health Organization, and a lot to discuss uh, with presidential politics. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What happened to the president in the 2016 election and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice, and it was unprecedented in American history. Russia, Flynn, and impeachment. Yes, all three storylines are prevalent these days and have been prevalent over the last three years. They are all moving forward today. We'll review them. Number two. While we're waiting for these medical treatments, get people back to work. Let them earn the money to pay their rent and put food on the table and sustain their lives as opposed to being locked down into government-forced poverty. Uh, Here we go. Uh, That is Governor Greg Abbott reopening Renaissance. States red and blue open up with so many, while so many rebel against the restrictions limiting their life and their welfare. We will do the best we can to go through the entire country. Number one. So this was a very big day therapeutically, cure-wise and vaccine-wise. And a lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. I happen to be taking it. Oops. Medical breakthroughs and a presidential admission. Stock soar as a vaccine moves forward at breakneck pace, while the president shocks the press with his pronouncement that he's taken hydroxychloroquine. Uh, let the frenzy begin, and it has. So he decides to take this drug. Uh, by the way, the NYU did, NYU did a study on the drug. Minnesota just did a study on the drug. Uh, NYU, uh, it reduces mortality by 44%. Good. Uh, evidently, they're doing a study on Medicaid to see uh, any people who have Medicaid who are seniors and are getting, it's easy to see what, what Medicaid is paying for, and our seniors or have lupus or anything else to take this drug, do they get coronavirus? And if they were able to stop it, they were able to do some reverse engineering and figure out maybe this is the reason why. 
because so many seniors are susceptible to it. So the president makes that announcement. Now, he wants to take it. A doctor said, okay, there's nothing wrong with it. But on a day in which your big story should be the vaccine, why, Mr. President, bring it out now? Let the big story be the big story. The market has responded with gains of over, over 900 points. You're around 25,000. And then you have the announcement that could be formalized today. That's what I would have done. But instead, the president uh, talked about what he's taking. It was almost unsolicited. Cut four. I take a pill every day. Uh, at some point, I'll stop. What I'd like to do is I'd like to have the cure and or the vaccine, and that'll happen, I think, very soon. And you've had no symptoms, sir? Zero symptoms. No, I haven't had any symptoms. No, I tested. We, I test every couple of days. They want to test me, you know, for obvious reasons. I mean, I am the president. So they want to test me. I don't want to be tested, but they want to test me. So every couple of days I get tested, and I've been, I've shown always uh, negative Right? Negative. Is that the term you use for this? Right? Negative. Totally negative. No symptoms, no nothing. But no, I take it because I think uh, I hear very good things. So a lot of people say, well, there's some studies out that it could be bad for your heart. Now, some people have lupus say, well, it can cause an arrhythmia in your heart. It's been around for 40 years. It's nothing new. But you take it in combination with zinc, they're finding the best results from it. His doctor recommended it. Now, the wisdom of the president blurting that out because people will do whatever the president says. Some will do just, just the opposite. Uh, it's risky. I wouldn't have done it. But the president says whatever's on his mind, and he tries to be as transparent as possible. So Nancy Pelosi hears this and listen to what the classless speaker said. Cut five. He's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. Right. Now, so if that's a woman that's a little heavy, and there are women political leaders that are heavy, and a man said, well, that's your weight group, what would you guys be saying? Remember when the president made that comment about that MSNBC anchor and said, you know, she was bleeding from her face as if she's got a facelift and people went absolutely nuts. Why is it okay for these people, uh, the Speaker of the House, he's 80-something years old, to make a comment on the president's weight um, and just to take any shot? Look, they don't like each other. And I find her absolutely despicable as a human being. I don't really have respect for her political knowledge. She cares about herself, not the country. She pretends to be religious. She acts the exact opposite way. Ronnie Jackson, the former presidential doctor for President Obama, President Bush, and President Trump, who the president tried to elevate to the VA and got involved in some controversy to no fault of his own, now running for Congress in Texas. Cut seven. And he's taking this prophylactically. And, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense based on what's going on. You know, he's the leader of the free world. He is our commander in chief. And, you know, if you don't think if you don't have a problem with our president being driven around in an armored vehicle and flown around in a uh, secure uh, environment all the time, surrounded by multiple people with uh, weapons to protect him, you shouldn't have a problem with him taking this drug prophylactically. It's it's uh, it's. It's the responsible thing to do right now uh, for the president. And, you know, he's leading by the he's leading from the front. He's he's talked about this drug at length and uh, he's uh, he's letting uh, folks know that, you know, he he truly believes this drug is going to be the answer for a lot of folks. And he opened up by saying Nancy Pelosi should stick to what she does best. And that's ruining the country. Hopefully we'll get the rest of that soundbite in. Uh, But let's talk about what else is happening. We're opening up. People are getting fed up. Because we know and respect the virus, understand the fears. We know 80,000 people have died, many of which people we all know. So don't just say people just being haphazard, reckless when they want to start their business responsibly, go back to their restaurant, 
and continue and try to compete and serve people. Go back to their gym. Go back to the dry cleaner. Go back to the bait shop and the sports shop. They're just being prevented from doing it because arbitrarily we came up with these shelter-at-home rules and only left over things like liquor stores. What would we do without liquor? How could we possibly survive? So um, President of the United States is seeing what's happening across the country and seeing that people are beginning to reopen. In Texas, they are reopening in a major way. I think 90% of the uh, state is open. In Oregon, when these oppressive executive uh, action rules were passed, a court has struck them null and void after the governor failed to get approval from the legislature. The Texas daycare centers are open. Bars uh, can open this week. In Ohio, they're going to be able to be opening the inside of restaurants, gyms at the end of the weekend. Texas and California move towards allowing pro sports to return. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced that they want to see uh, pro sports without fans uh, on May 31st. Man, that would be great. Gavin Newsom said sports without fans could resume in California the first week of June. What a difference. He was saying that uh, mayor that they have, Garcetti, totally irresponsible. Sports shut down until, uh, in Los Angeles uh, until next year. The California State College System has shut down all fall. They said, just study remotely. What about your fall sports season? Have you thought about that? How much revenue that brings in? Or how much people? I don't know how any uh, aspiring athlete or that wants to just somebody who wants to fulfill their four years would ever stay there. Uh, Newsom's loosening rules with California uh, communities because he knows he's not going to get a big bailout check from the federal government. He's got to generate some tax revenue. Now, Wisconsin governor will not pursue a statewide coronavirus restrictions after the court ruling, but Minnesota is going over the top. They are going and taking a bar owner to court who wanted to reopen early. In New Jersey, same thing happened with the gym. We covered extensively yesterday. Governor Murphy had state cops first walk away and then go back and issue a summons. But this gym is reminiscent and emblematic of so many other businesses in New Jersey, which are being arbitrarily shut down and destroyed. So you're not asking me to have a few lean months. You're asking me to lose my business because you're not going to make it back, especially if there are table restrictions. I want to talk about all that with uh, Colonel Alan West. And then uh, we'll take your calls at one 408 7669 Then Pete Hexeth will join us to talk more uh, about what happened with that gym and also talk about his brand new book. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot to discuss. We haven't even touched the Russia stuff yet and what A.G. Barr said yesterday. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. 
Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Beginning this Friday, May the 22nd, a long list of businesses can now reopen or expand capacity. Restaurants can open to a 50% capacity. Bars, wine tasting rooms, craft breweries, and similar businesses can open at a 25% capacity. In addition to that, a wide range of businesses, ranging from drive-in concerts to bowling alleys, can open up at a 25% capacity. Uh, That is Governor Abbott uh, leaning forward, trying to get Texas open again. They have the lowest, uh, according to the governor, I've not been able to check it, not not many of these states are willing to give it, unemployment right now in the country coming out of this pandemic, pretty impressive. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West lives there now, used to be a congressman from California. Colonel, do you like the way your governor is handling this? Well, I was a congressman from Florida. Never put me in the state of California. I think that would drive me crazy. Oh, did I say California? Um, okay. Yeah, that's okay. You got California on your mind, I guess. But, Brian, uh, again, I go back to the premise that I've always had. It is not up to any elected official. They don't have the enumerated power. They should not be determining the winners and the losers, who can and who can't go back to work, who or what is essential. And this whole thing about I am I am granting you uh, now the opportunity to have 50% opening, that, that's not the governor's job. That's not his position. And elected officials need to understand they are not there existing to protect our health. They exist to protect our rights. So the most important thing that the governor should be doing has given us the guidelines by which these businesses could continue to operate and to, to open up and let them be the adults in the room and do what is necessary. And they're going to be citizens uh, here in Texas, all across America. They don't want to come out of the house. They, they don't want to go out and frequent the businesses. That's their choice. That's their right. But then, you know, People such as myself, my wife, and others, we can make the educated adult decision that we do want to go out and we will abide by certain guidelines. But, you know, this whole thing about in Austin, Texas now, the mayor there is saying that uh, businesses have to, you know, take down the information, the personal contact information of their patrons, people coming in, so that maybe the public health officials can contact them later. Uh, We know that $275 million will be spent given to the MTX group here in Texas so that we can have contact tracers. Those are the type of things, once again, that are really disturbing to me. They, they think contact tracing is important, but the privacy is also important. You focus on the 36 million that are without a job right now. And yes. I think Texas gets it, but Mass- you know, um, Massachusetts does not get it. Minnesota does not get it. Uh, I don't think that Michigan can honestly say that they're showing that they get it. 
Uh, there's a there's a power thing I think that goes along with this. It's a huge power trip, and this despotism that we see happening is unconscionable, Brian. You know, last week I was down in Laredo, Texas. I spent two and a half days down there. Laredo, Texas, uh, 260,000 people, eight, 18th largest city in Texas, the largest inland port and the largest border crossing in the United States of America. They have sadly had, when I was down there, 17 deaths related to COVID-19. They have a 10 p.m. curfew in Laredo, Texas. Why do you institute a 10 p.m. curfew for a, a 260,000-person city, the, the largest inland port uh, in the United States of America, because 17 people have sadly lost their lives, 17 Texans? That shows me that people are using this just the same as in California and other places you just mentioned for their own power trip and their own control grab. And, Brian, let's be honest, it seems that – conservative red states are leaning toward freedom and liberty and getting the uh, economy back open. But these Democrat states are leaning in the opposite direction. I think that's why Mike Garcia won that race, that congressional race out there in California. Maybe that's what you had on your mind. I hope so. Yes. 76% of Democrats think we're going too fast, but 51% of Republicans think we're going too fast. I don't know who those 51% is. I'm both, I'm respecting and I'm, I'm for uh, protocol, but I'm not for, uh, I'm not for destroying businesses and livelihoods. Mayor de Blasio, this is what we're dealing with here in New York. This guy's never going to open up this city. And he thinks he's getting a check from the federal government. Forget it. You have to earn your way out of this. And you've earned your problems. Listen to what he's telling everyone over the weekend. Meanwhile, the numbers have cratered. They are dropping rapidly everywhere. Cut 22. If you want to walk on the beach, you know, Fine, enjoy that, but uh, no swimming, no lifeguards, no parties, you know, no barbecues, no sports. It's just, it's just open space that you can walk on, uh, take it in, and then get back home. Who the hell are you? And you, they also said, if you swim, we will take you out of the water. Who the hell does this guy think he is? Uh, he thinks that he is the feudal lord of the uh, empire of New York City. And that is so dangerous that you have someone with that mentality. But, Brian, think about this. Who pays his salary? Who enables Bill de Blasio to get a, a check? But yet he is taking this, this lordship over the surfs of New York City and saying, you know, this is what I decree, that you can go out and you can walk, but you cannot sit there. You can look at the water, but you better not go into the water. This is a serious constitutional uh, threat that we see happening in our country. And remember that the Wisconsin Supreme Court just said, you know, hey, Governor Wisconsin, this stay-at-home order stuff, this is unconstitutional, and they're absolutely right. This is not a quarantine. This is not. This is an illegal martial law. This is house arrest. You cannot tell healthy people who have not violated any law whatsoever that you can't go to the beach. That, that's unconstitutional. Governor Gavin Newsom on what's at stake, cut 36. Well, the same folks that say it's dead on arrival, I hope they'll consider this. The next time they want to salute and celebrate our heroes, our first responders, our police officers and firefighters, uh, consider uh, the fact that they are the first ones to be laid off by cities and counties. He was asked to respond to the fact that the president doesn't want to bail out states. Does he bring up the fact that he's spending $75 million to give illegal aliens aid 
No, he wants to make it seem like the president doesn't like cops and firefighters. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we learned, that the money that uh, was given to California, he made the decision that he would give it to illegal immigrants, and so he is not concerned about the citizens there. And they also have a big problem out in California with uh, repeat sex offenders who they uh, released from the jails. And uh, we know that that recently happened uh, out in Colorado just a few days ago where someone was released and a 21-year-old woman has lost her life. So here they are, people like Mayor Bill de Blasio wanted to arrest you, go and swim, but they're releasing criminals. Uh, pick up his book, Colonel Alan West, an American Black Conservative Manifesto. The title is We Can Overcome. And you can always uh, support him at westfortexas.com as he efforts to become Texas GOP chair. Thanks, Colonel. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You're going to hear there's a pond on the other side of my property here. A lot of Canadian geese. If you hear them honking away, it's they're cheering. That's what they're about. Scale. Scale. Staggering. I don't know whose phone that is, but the scale of the loss is staggering. It's been two months since Congress gave them that money. That's your Democratic nominee for president. He does a podcast every day. They seem so strained and sometimes incomprehensible. And then he has his phone on. He's like, I'm going to tell you the ducks are, uh, you know, the ducks are making noise in the backdrop. They're cheering me. It's hysterical. Then he comes up with a nickname for the president, Tweety. I mean, if you're going to try to play the nickname game with the president, you're 77 years old. You've never had a nickname before except for your, your dad's stories. I'm sure 50% aren't even true when he calls you Joey. Uh, that's the closest you ever got to using a nickname in public. But I guess things have changed now. But it's really, the president's got to watch it. The more he attacks Barack Obama, people are going to think it's Obama against Trump. The president's got to go parry and say, this is the guy I'm running against. That's the guy that's going to be president. Are you kidding me? Also, a quick note. Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, out on paperback right now. If you guys want it signed and personalized, even though my bookstore technically closed on Long Island, I can go through the back door and they'll handle it. Uh, BrianKillMe.com and get it personalized for Father's Day. Uh, it's got new information in it, so it's softback and it'll also save you some money. So the Rescue 5 package is really interesting. This latest Rescue package is going to put blue state against red state, and here's why. Almost, and it's not a coincidence, almost every red state is a state that's running without a budget deficit, that doesn't have to take out loans, that doesn't have tremendous spending. And you saw Rick Scott come on this show and say Governor Cuomo is not telling the truth about his budget. He has 40% of his budget go to Medicare. He has all these other projects that are overrun. He has, uh, his taxes are through the roof. He, plus he has state taxes. There's no state taxes in Texas and Florida. And in today's Wall Street Journal, they compare New York and Florida. And you tell me if you think it's okay for the federal government to write big checks to California and New York, because they basically have the same situation. Forty-three, uh, $43 billion in income. They spend 570000 per person. Uh, Florida has $28 billion in income. While adding 2.7 million people, New York is losing people. They spend $10,000 per person. They have zero sales tax. New York is 12.7. 
Should Florida go finance New York? I'm in New York, too. New York has 40% of their money goes to Medicaid. That's $76 billion. Florida, a third of that. Uh, a third of that goes to, it's way over $76 billion. a third of that goes to Medicare. They decided not to sign up for the, Medicaid, uh, for the Medicare Obamacare stuff. And guess what? Because they said it's going to run out someday. And now, they, right now, New York is paying 10%. They were co- covered 100%. You know that's only going to go up. Uh, they go on. Uh, progressive tax code for high earners. That's why people are leaving New York. Federal dollars. 36% of federal dollars for New York, 32% go to Florida. So they're getting, uh, they're both paying a substantial to the federal government. New York lost $9.6 billion in uh, tax-adjusted gross income as high earners left the state. I see it all the time. Florida gained $16 billion. New York um, uh, restaurants are, uh, the New York is known for uh, for the restaurants, for example, they're hurting with high regulations. They're, high, they're hurting with minimum wage demands because that jacks up everybody's prices. They do not have that problem in Florida. So they are running at a huge deficit. They have higher taxes. Well, since Florida is sucking it up and living an austere, humble, but very prosperous life with zero taxes in that state, why should they bail out California and New York who don't want to make any hard decisions, make all these promises come election time, and they deliver by going into deficit, and then they just borrow additional money. That now, that's going to be the big debate as we get ready for a rescue package. While Senator Schumer came out yesterday and said, oh, these Republicans want liability insurance. They want these, they want these CEOs to abuse their uh, workers. This is where they'll be immune to a lawsuit. No. If everybody that goes back to work decides to sue because of working conditions which they deem uh, insufficient, and the lawsuits are flowing in. All these businesses shut down. The taxes stop rolling out. They are no longer going to be employing people. They need liability protection. There is regulations and there are inspectors to make sure they live up to the minimum demands. Overall, I, I love what this at, uh, Attili's gym did in New Jersey. All the gyms are shut down. I have nowhere, you know, uh, me, like so many other people, nowhere to work out in your house. So you pretty much got to find out another place to work out, whether it's uh, paying off a guy at a rehab center or getting one of these uh, at-home bikes, a Peloton, which I did get, but it's not the same. That's good for your cardiovascular, but not good for building strength. This Ian Smith says, I'm losing money. I'm going belly up. Everybody wants to work out. My workers want to work. So we reopened against the governor's executive orders. Here's what Ian Smith told us, said, us, uh, said to us this morning. Uh, cut 31. We opened yesterday with a safety protocol in place that goes far above and beyond what big box uh, stores or essential businesses are currently doing right now. Um, You know, we we went above and beyond and we are still ticketed for it, um, even though our protocol is far superior to theirs. Um, You know, and um, we kind of expected that. But, um, you know, the the exchange with the police all day was amazing, uh, even when they handed us the summons. I feel really bad for the cops. They had to go issue a... First, they said, you can go. Then they had to come back and issue a summons, especially when the governor came out and said, I got to enforce this law. But the governor says, I'm not even going to fully open the state up until we get a vaccine. Are you nuts? You can't say that to people. One minute it's uh, bending the curve. They bent the curve. Now you say, wait for a vaccine that's going to take a year. They discovered in the fall that I got to have it for a year. You're going to do that to your state? Maybe you can because you're a multimillionaire. But other people cannot. Drives me nuts. But that 
owner has a GoFundMe page to pay the $2,000 fine, and I hope they get that money to pay off the fine. When we come back, Pete Hegseth, who covered the story, joins us. I'll talk about that in this new book. Back in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm proud of the fact that with two weeks to go, uh, we're probably the first administration in modern history that hasn't had a major scandal in the White House. Really? And that's interesting, the way he views it. Uh, not only was there, there's still now uh, for what happened in the last years of the Obama years. Uh, that is uh, Barack Obama a short time ago. Meanwhile, it's time to bring in Pete Hayes at the weigh in on that and so much more. Uh, today, his book is out, long anticipated American Crusade, uh, Our Fight to Stay Free. Pete Hegseth, outstanding uh, host here at Fox News, does weekends, but everything else too, major staple of Fox Nation. Pete, congratulations on the book and the release. Thank you very much, Brian. I know you know all about release day. You work really hard. Uh, thank you for having me. And I, yeah, I'm proud of the book. Glad it's coming out today. Right. And uh, I put with Barack Obama because probably when President Obama is in office, Pete, you're probably not interested in uh, in writing this book. And then when it emerges that Donald Trump looks like he's going to win the nomination, you weren't all in there. What changed? No, you're exactly right. And, and I wrote a book four years ago called In the Arena. Uh, what I mean, what changed is Donald Trump. What changed is how he reoriented our politics. And one of the things you do so great something you do so well with your books is one leads to another it tells sort of a continuing story and the first book i wrote in the arena in 2016 was before the donald trump era and i and i felt like i had to write this book as a sort of guttural expression of the way so many of us have been reoriented toward the things that really matter because of the president brian you're right i the 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 first line of the second chapter of the book is hi my name is pete hegseth and I was almost a never-Trumper uh, because I was a Rubio guy and then a Cruz guy, and I couldn't quite wrap my arms around this Donald Trump guy who had totally crashed the party. And I wanted someone to reject, you know, who would, who would uh, eloquently, you know, quote uh, William Buckley and Alexis de Tocqueville and, and take down Obama's transformation of America, and I thought it was going to be sort of a smooth-talking senator. It turns out, no, we needed a crusader-in-chief, a bull in the china shop, to literally come in and say, I will fight, I will eradicate political correctness, I will take on the news media, and I will do it in a brash way that sort of the, the moment requires because of how much the left has captured our country. And I, I think we, a lot of people didn't understand that at first, including me. But once you get where the left is and what's needed to defeat them, a guy like Donald Trump, you realize, is really, really is the man of our moment. Well, I mean, you have two 70-year-old guys who are going to be running against each other. Biden isn't really the answer for the left. Do you believe the left that scares you and, and maybe forced you to write this book because you had to have a counter-narrative is the Bernie Sanders, is the AOCs of the world? Absolutely. That's the heart and soul of the modern Democrat Party. You know, you know this as, as well as anybody. I mean, John F. Kennedy would have been a conservative Republican today, a tax-cutting, pro-life, anti-communist. 
the ultimately the left today has ceased being liberal and has become leftist. That's what the, that's who's captured the Democrat Party. So Joe Biden may be their candidate, but he's the the, the last guard of a slightly more moderate party. But really, he's an empty vessel for the totally woke, socialist, Green New Deal, um, globalist left, which is really a manifestation, Brian, of three, four, five, six decades of a very concerted effort to shift our culture and our education, our churches, our institutions, which eventually lead their way into politics. Politics is a lagging indicator. So the left's capture of, of frankly, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden is, is a preview of where their politics are going because the culture is so far gone. And that's why in American Crusade, I talk about a lot more than just political wins. Yes, 2020 is really important, but the real emphasis of the book is culture and education and going into those battlefields to retake them. Without that, we have no chance of of keeping our republic, which otherwise is totally besieged by the left. I mean, not only are you a really smart guy, you're extremely highly educated. You went to Princeton, played basketball there. Then you went, did you also go to Harvard? I did, unfortunately, Brian. Yes, uh, the school of government there. So you go that, and then, oh, yeah, instead of getting just into my career, I think I'll go serve in the military in the National Guard. Oh, and by the way, on my things-to-do list is to go to Iraq. So you have, <laughs> so, and you re-enlisted, in the, uh, you re-enlisted in the National Guard, right? Correct. I'm still in right now. I'm, I'm a major in the National Guard. You know, I did a tour in Afghanistan after uh, Harvard. And what I write about in the book is, you know, I went to school with, millionaires are kids of millionaires and then i spent the next few years after that uh deploying with hundredaires you know the the regular guys and gals who built this great country frankly the forgotten men and women that donald trump talked about and and i have the i love this duty brian the diner duty on fox and friends i love the assignments of going across the country and talking to the people in the morning because what you find is the same thing i found in the military units there's this deep reservoir of common sense wisdom of people who sort of see what's wrong in the country and they're willing to say something about it. And I think they, they look at a guy like Donald Trump and they say, he's a say some, see something, say something president. He sees stuff that doesn't make sense, says it out loud, which you're usually not supposed to do in polite, political, politically correct society. And then he does something about it. I mean, people that were skeptical of him we're skeptical because most politicians never follow through. Then he actually did the things he said he was going to do, which is why his popularity has only increased. So, yeah, I read a whole chapter, Brian, about elitism, which is part of the left, which is how the elites at places like Princeton and Harvard use political correctness and, frankly, indoctrination to change the conversation, the words we can use. And through changing that, it trickles into our media, into our movies, into our education. Right. Pretty soon we're all wondering if I can say that anymore. American Crusade, the name of the book, Pete Hegseth with us talking about it. So, Pete, you say that, uh, the, that Trump is, is resonating with America, those so-called everyday people that are people look past and don't count. I'm reading this guy, Doug Sosnick, who was a White House political director under President Clinton. And he's looking at trends in the country. He said uh, the Republicans are really in trouble. He says the changing demographic, the fast growing demographic are non-whites and millennials, both of which are very uh, Democratic friendly. Women are increasingly abandoning the Republican Party and more educated voters are increasingly Democratic. The suburbs, which constitute an increasing share of the U.S. population, 
are also moving Democrat. Do you have a counter narrative to that? And if that is true, is it possible to wake up the Republican Party with books like yours? I'm hoping so, Brian. I really am, because that question you just answered is basically the key question of the book. Was 2016 the last gasp of a country that still had enough uh, boomers and, and older folks who went through more traditional education, who were willing to vote for Donald Trump, but are ultimately aging? Was it, was it the last gasp of those generations? Or is, it, or is his reelection potentially in 2020, could it be a demonstration that the turn in our country is more than just politics, that hopefully some of these communities, minority communities, Hispanics, blacks and others, realize the Democrat Party has failed them, uh, that, that, that states we were told we couldn't win, Donald Trump actually does win. So I, you know, we say this too much. Oh, this election is one of the most important of our lifetime. But I really think 2020 is, because considering what Donald Trump has faced in the media, internally, Mueller, Mueller report and all of that, if he can still win in spite of those headwinds and now COVID-19, uh, it shows you there really still is a, a, a residual of an understanding of what makes America so special, especially when he's running against a Democrat party that has gone so far left. So I think those doomsday scenarios, I hear them all the time too, Brian, they could be right. That's the scary future. But I do think we have a chance to turn it around and reach groups that maybe people say aren't conservative, but really can be and should be, uh, and still win in 2020, which could lead to, listen, a 7-2 majority on the Supreme Court. Potentially, no one's hoping anyone passes away, but we have a lot of aging justices, uh, the wall being built, things being solidified that otherwise, after four years, could be, could, could be uh, washed away by a, a heaven forbid, a Biden administration. And Pete, something else is emerging since your plan release and the actual release of your book, and that is your subtitle, Our Fight to Stay Free. You really can drill down on what's happening with the opening and the lack of opening on these states, because people are rising up who don't care about politics and saying, really, I can't play tennis? Oh, is that true? I'm not allowed three people in a boat? Is it true? I can't open up my restaurant? Where were you? Yesterday, you were in front of a gym that refused to stay closed because they were going to fail if they stayed closed, so they opened up anyway. That's where you were. Is there a freedom to talk? Is there, as we close, is there a new definition of freedom since you wrote the book as opposed to where we're at today? Yes, there's a new understanding of how fragile it is. I did write it before COVID-19, but COVID-19 is the ultimate validator of what government can do and the lack of common sense that it has. You mentioned those gym owners from yesterday. These are regular guys. They're not overtly political. They told me about it at the gym. They said, we didn't get into this to be public. We just realized our liberties were being taken away. We can be responsible, free people. Freedom requires responsibility and a compass. These guys have it. So I'm hoping this moment shakes some people to realize uh, you have to be involved to keep your freedom. Otherwise, elites in distant capitals will try to control you. It's a great point, Brian. And I think this moment... Uh, hopefully makes the book American Crusade even more relevant. Yeah, we respect the virus, but not at the cost of everything. Uh, Pete Hegseth, congratulations on the book. I look forward to talking to you again on it. You do a great job when you fill in. You're a fantastic host. The book is really good, and it's no short. I mean, dig in for this. It's deep thinking. American Crusade, our fight to stay free. Pete, best of luck. Brian, thanks so much. You're the man. Thank you. You got it. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show.
Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, get ready for a big hour. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We go to the White House in 15 minutes. Hogan Gidley will be with us. Talk about the messaging from the president yesterday and today. We saw the market fly up yesterday on about almost a thousand points. Little down so far today. Uh, there's a sense of reopening. The president said, I feel like it's a brand new day now as we get closer and closer to getting up to 100% from coast to coast. A far, long way uh, in New York City just because of our incompetent leadership here with our mayor and other reasons too. Chris Steyerwolf at the bottom of the hour. Then you'll have a, finally have a chance if you don't have the Fox Nation uh, subscription, and I don't know why you wouldn't, I'll be on with Barney and company. And then this is also a big week because Brian Kilmeade, uh, uh, you can go to BrianKilmeade.com and get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, personalized uh, for Father's Day or whatever big event you have coming up. But right now, uh, the president's going to be speaking on a Zoom call with some important people, including Tim Cook of Apple. I, for one, hope he says, hey, Tim, for four months, we've been trying to get Apple to open up a phone now of a guy that we now know is an Al-Qaeda operative that killed four of our military men. And we uh, fundamentally, the FBI had to do it on their own. You better start cooperating because we know you do with China. That better come up today. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What happened to the president in the 2016 election and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice and it was unprecedented in American history. Russia, Michael Flynn, and impeachment. Yes, all three storylines so prevalent over the last three years. All move forward yesterday. We'll review the clashes at every level. Number two. While we're waiting for these medical treatments, get people back to work. Let them earn the money to pay their rent and put food on the table and sustain their lives as opposed to being locked down into government-forced poverty. Yes, uh, that is Governor Greg Abbott. Reopening Renaissance. States red and blue beginning to open up with so many rebel, re, so many rebelling against the restrictions limiting their life and their welfare. We'll do the best we can to get you up to date, state by state. Number one. So this was a very big day therapeutically, cure-wise and vaccine-wise. And a lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. I happen to be taking it. Uh, there have been. NYU did a study, but no one seems to have known, seen that study. The University of Minnesota did another. We'll get the results shortly. But the president, with all the momentum he had with this vaccine, had the markets flying up, then created controversy by saying, I'm taking hydroxychloroquine. Not that it's bad or good, but that's what everyone wrote about. That's what everyone's talking about. Medical breakthroughs and presidential admissions. Uh, stocks soar as the vaccine moves forward, while the president stocks the press with that pronouncement. So uh, the president said... I've always liked this. I've seen some encouraging things out of France on this. Hydroxychloroquine, I think it would be a good move. Evidently, the NYU just released a well-conceived uh, retrospective paper uh, receiving, they say, they, if you take zinc with hydroxychloroquine, there were 44% less chance of dying 
and a 1.5% chance, uh, greater likelihood of recovering. That's good enough for me. And the other thing is, is it a preventative? A lot of people think you could take it and not get hydroxychloroquine. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? That's almost like a vaccine. Well, that's what some people are reporting out of China and France. We'll see if it holds up. But when the president said it, that really made news. Cut three. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. Well, he said, what do you have to lose? As Mark Cuban pointed out, you probably don't want to say that in the science world. I'll take some drugs. What do I have to lose? But the president's point is well taken. He wanted, he saw two people get it, three people get it right around him. He thought it would be great to have a preventative. He heard some good things about it. He asked the doctor and he took it. Among the, uh, among the people that thought it was a good move is another doctor, Ronnie Jackson, former White House physician to Bush, Obama, and him. Cut seven. And he's taking this prophylactically. And, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense based on what's going on. You know, he's the leader of the free world. He is our commander in chief. And, you know, if you don't think if you don't have a problem with our president being driven around in an armored vehicle and flown around in a uh, secure uh, environment all the time, surrounded by multiple people with uh, weapons to protect him, you shouldn't have a problem with him taking this drug prophylactically. It's it, it's uh, it, it's the responsible thing to do right now uh, for the president. And, you know, he's leading by the he's leading from the front. He's, he's talked about this drug at length, and uh, he's, uh, he, he's letting uh, folks know that, you know, he, he truly believes this drug is, is going to be the answer for a lot of folks. And we'll see. Uh, one thing is pretty clear is we do have a, an answer when it comes so far, a lot of positive things when it comes out to a vaccine. And if it gets on a fast track, we could have it by January. Once we get it, it's really going to hit hyperspeed. Uh, as uh, we have all these states reopening, but we want to be able to do it safely. Texas, we know, would not be a problem. There's been some pushback to some of their more liberal cities like Austin. Uh, Michigan has always been a problem. New York is opened up kind of slow. When I look at what's happening on Long Island, I would think that they would be able to open it up. It's within a whisker, and there's time is not on small businessmen and women's side. One thing that Governor Cuomo is extremely vulnerable at is his terrible policy when it comes to seniors. Do you know over 5,500 have lost their lives in New York State just because they were infected with coronavirus and put back into the nursing home while you have a ship and the whole Javits Center and other facilities to keep them in until they're done, until they're recovered. And that's where I think Governor Cuomo is going to be extremely vulnerable. And his crass comments, if, if, you, if Donald Trump had said this, uh, believe me, uh, they will be held to pay. They'd be playing it all day. Listen to Cuomo when talking about the nursing homes, the people that died in the investigation that's now wanted. Cut nine. Older people, vulnerable people are going to die from this virus. And that is a fact. And that is not going to change. We now have a top priority, uh, which we have from day one, which is our nursing homes. I understand we have the most aggressive standard in the nation. But I also know that it is necessary. Now they have the most aggressive standard. March 22nd, he had the standard. You send them back to nursing homes. Basically, they were IEDs and killed a whole bunch of people. While at the same time, while suffering from this, in order to isolate the disease, you're not even allowed to uh, see your family. So... That's what's going on. 
There is no governor that's doing this perfect. And there are people that are just avoiding scrutiny. And it is Governor Cuomo of New York. I mean, look at the numbers. Look at how slow we got to react. As he said, this is, we, you know, governors don't usually do pandemics. That is true. But I look at California. They seem to have snapped to attention a lot sooner. Here's some good news. And we'll be talking about this. Uh, we'll be talking about this at a later hour in the show. There's a lot of push now to reopen sports. UFC is back. NASCAR is back. There's going to be a race tomorrow night. Golf is coming back in June. And now within two weeks, now 10 days, we're going to find out about baseball. Now for football, they released their schedule. They want to play. Uh, for the president, he wants them to play. And even Governor Andrew Cuomo said, I think we need it. Cut 18. I also have been encouraging major sports teams to plan reopenings. Uh, without fans, but the games could be televised. New York State will help those major sports franchises to do just that. Uh, hockey, basketball, baseball, football. Yeah, we want it all back. Uh, Yankees, I, the, I mean, the plan is on paper. A couple of weeks, three weeks of spree training. The Yankees come back and play in July. They'll be an 80, and the Mets come back and play in July in this area. And they'll play an 82-game season. But evidently, the players don't want their salary cut, which to me is mind-numbingly stupid. In a time in which baseball, believe me, it is a popular sport in a region, not in a nation. The ratings are not strong even for the World Series. Fox has the property. I'm not sure if we're making money on it. But if you actually want to alienate people, take an entire year off while everybody else struggles to get back on. It will be the absolute wrong thing to do for the future of your sport. The other big story that we're, having, that we're talking about is what's happening with Russia and what's happening with so-called Obamagate. Bill Barr made it clear he is not going to do the dirty work of the president. Think about this. He didn't indict Comey. He didn't indict McCabe. In McCabe's case, he flat out lied and admitted to lying. He did not indict either one of them. But he did come out and exonerate Flynn. It's being held up in court right now. But there are 16 attorney generals who said he was unjustly being held up in court. So my hope is that we just get this guy free. Meanwhile, uh, here is Bill Barr on what Durham's doing and what he's not doing. And that is investigating President Obama or Vice President Biden. And this drove the president nuts. Cut 40. But we have to bear in mind what the Supreme Court recently reminded us of in the Bridgegate case. As the court said there, there's a difference between an abuse of power and a federal crime. Not every abuse of power, no matter how outrageous, is necessarily a federal crime. Now, as to President Obama and Vice President Biden, whatever their level of involvement, based on the information I have today, I don't expect Mr. Durham's work will lead to a criminal investigation of either man. Our concern over potential criminality is focused on others. We'll see. Uh, I will say this. As a country, I don't love one president investigating another, unless it's so egregious. Maybe this is that case, but I like that Barr said that. Nothing else creates some distance and quiet as critics who say he does whatever Trump wants. That is not true. I didn't believe it. You didn't believe it. But now there's proof of it. More proof of it. When we come back, we go to the White House. I'll get, the pre- I'll get Hogan Gidley's reaction to that. He's the assistant to the president, and he's also, um, he's also White House deputy press secretary. Then Chris Steyerwalt, then Varney and company. It's going to be a busy hour. Don't move. There's no other place you'd rather be. 
Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now it feels good. People are starting to go out. They're opening. They get it. We understand the disease much better than we did transition to greatness. We're going to be back. And what you said is a very important thing. People expect to go back. Uh, and as the President of the United States, uh, kind of optimistic. Speaking of restaurateurs have been hit and hospitality has been slammed by the pandemic like no other industry. You had that roundtable yesterday. And then the good news about the vaccine, but then the controversial news about the president taking hydroxychloroquine uh, just sent everybody into a tizzy. Hogan Gidley, a special assistant to the president and White House deputy press secretary. Hogan, always great to talk to you. Um, I guess the news is always coming fast and furious. Uh, What do we have on tap today? Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, We got a few things going on today here. Yesterday was a big day in the White House. As you mentioned, he, he met with people from the restaurant industry to talk about reopening. There have been so many industries hard hit by this coronavirus, and the restaurant industry ranks right up there at the top. 50% of the nutrition we get is actually outside the home. And so restaurants are a major part of this society, uh, the food supply chain and other things. And so talking to them about how you begin to safely reopen is is, uh, very important, of course. Today, the president also has... um, some meetings uh, with, uh, with, with governors. Uh, that's going to be important as we talk to, I think the governor from um, uh, Arizona is going to be in today and also in New Hampshire, uh, other, other folks in today. So that's going to be good. And um, uh, it's going to be an impactful day, of course. Uh, the president wants to get this country open. You heard him talk about it just now. Uh, that's going to be something that is a, is a theme throughout this White House because as the country looks to to uh, begin the reopening phases, we want to make sure that uh, they do it safely, they do it responsibly, they do it in a rational way. And some governors are doing a great job at, at taking a look around their state and realizing the differences in different locales, and then also take a look at uh, you know the way that that uh, what works in some of these areas because obviously what works in Tennessee doesn't necessarily work in Texas what works in Mississippi doesn't work in uh, Montana and so as they look at those ways to open we want to talk to those governors and figure out the best ways to do that but we're also going to be talking today to folks in the ag industry now, that's a big one for us today because obviously that's another industry that was hit hard the president's looking to take care of those farmers he has from the word go uh, and today's going to be no different we're talking about billions of dollars of assistance and also to some of the food programs out there to take uh, food, uh, food banks, uh, food purchases from, from American farmers and take them directly to charities that serve needy families. That's coming up at 11 o'clock here in just a few minutes. So that's another really big one uh, for us here because obviously all these industries and all Americans have been, have been really impacted greatly, and we want to work to make sure that they feel as, as little pain as possible. And as we begin to reopen, gotcha. the president is going to make everyone know, hey, we, we rebuilt this economy once. We'll do it again. So, uh, Hogan, uh, the president's also going to do a Zoom call amongst people would be uh, Tim Cook, right? 
Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got that call today. He, he uh, I was looking through some of the yeah. um, the calendars this morning, and I mean, my goodness, it's packed today. So he's he's got a lot of stuff going on today. We want to make sure that yeah, along with. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, if I have it right, uh, the Apple CEO Tim Cook, Lockheed Martin CEO Marilyn uh, Husum, and other American employers will be discussing education and training programs at the White House today, which brings me to the perfect timing because uh, we were all stunned to find out that it was an al-Qaeda operative that killed those four Americans on those military bases in Pensacola. We're trying to train people from other countries, and it turns out one of the guys is a terrorist. It took four months to find out his links to al-Qaeda because we couldn't get to his phone. Listen to what Christopher Ray said, FBR director, Cut 52. The evidence we've been able to develop from the killer's devices shows that the Pensacola attack was actually the brutal culmination of years of planning and preparation by a longtime AQAP associate. He was meticulous in his planning. He made pocket cam videos as he cased his classroom building. He wrote a final will purporting to explain himself and saved it in his phone. The exact same will that AQAP released two months later. Right. He went on to say they took four months because Apple would not cooperate and you could see he was seething about it. Same with Bill Barr. Seething yesterday. Imagine if this was a multifaceted plot. Just the beginning more, as bad as it was as it came out. Will the president bring this up with Tim Cook today and say how unacceptable it is to the nation's security? Well, I'm not going to get ahead of what the president is or is not going to do. But the fact is, is uh, you know, this president, whether it's been rebuilding the military or making sure the American people are safe with military strikes against some of the world's worst actors, terrorists across this country, um, and even though the media doesn't like it, the fact is he's done everything he can to protect the American people. He's going to continue to do that. This news obviously is troubling to so many across the globe. And when you understand that people still want to destroy America and Americans every chance they get. Um, That's scary. But this presence on top of it, you heard the words from uh, uh, Mr. Barr yesterday as well. Um, This is something that the president takes very seriously. He's instructed his his cabinet to do so as well. All right. Thanks so much. Hogan Gidley from the White House. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. By the way, real quickly, Brian, if I may, I think I misspoke. He's not meeting with governors today. He's meeting with his cabinet today. That's how much we're doing over here. (laughs) I'm even getting turned around day to day, but it's a busy day here at the White House. Got it, Hogan. No problem. Uh, I know he's mean with governors uh, on and off and a lot of Democratic governors, which I think is a great sign. Uh, thank you, Hogan Gidley from the White House. Next, Chris Starwell comes from his bunker uh, and we talking about reopening America and the politics of taking on President Obama. A president taking on a former president. Is this the best strategy? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Former President Obama seems to suggest that you aren't even pretending to be in charge. What's your response? Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent. Thank you. They've been taking shots at each other really for the last week and a half. Uh, Although President Obama doesn't mention Trump's name, but clearly he's taking a bunch of shots. And 
By the way, he's not being trapped into questions, and it's not being leaked out from a, uh, from a staffer on an alumni call to Yahoo. This was done at a commencement address. To me, totally inappropriate. Takes a shot at the president. I don't know if you met Donald Trump, but he tends to hit back. Uh, joining us now is Chris Starwald. Chris, uh, with all you do and all you know as po- a political editor of Fox News and uh, Fox News' halftime report, that newsletter that comes out daily, uh, I'm wondering about this strategy for President Trump. Wouldn't he rather be going against Biden? Or why is he choosing to go against Obama? So Trump is used to being the alpha troll, right? Uh, He is used to getting in people's heads, messing with them. And have you ever heard about the Odo Loop that uh, uh, pilots talk about, came out of military aviation, observe, decide, operate? We look at something, we make a decision, and then we go into it. How tight is it and how effective is it? Trump has been really good at disrupting people's loops, right, uh, and getting them to do things that are out of character or, or, or self-destructive when we think about him in the 2016 Republican primaries, when we think about him uh, with the media. This very much is the case. Obama, though, is now trolling Trump to a degree, right? Um, Obama is now getting in Trump's head, and he's, he is, as you say, without naming his name first, he did the thing with his uh, alumni group. Then there was this uh, uh, virtual commencement, and it is he is walking right up to Trump and smacking him on the snout. And Trump can't resist it, right? Trump is not ever going to let anybody uh, say anything bad about him without him responding. So he is now he and Obama are now locked in this. I I mean, you'd have I was saying the other day, I said on special report yesterday, I I think you might have to go back to uh, William Howard Taft and Teddy Roosevelt to find this kind of a dynamic between a president and his successor. It's totally weird. It's a it's it's out of sync with the history that we have been accustomed to for 100 years. And it's potentially, you know, massively disruptive to what we're going to see in this presidential election. Yeah, here's more uh, on this exchange. It's also pulled the curtain back on another hard truth, something that we all have to eventually accept once our childhood comes to an end. You know, all those adults that you used to think were in charge and knew what they were doing, turns out they don't have all the answers. A lot of them aren't even asking the right questions. So he, got, he gets a little worse than that a little bit later on. On a commencement that, address, he's trying way, to inspire people. Way. He's saying, whatever you do, don't be Trump. Go ahead. Well, by the way, what Obama said there, though, is true and usually true, right? That, that, is, a, that is a true statement. Not everything that he said was about Trump. It is true that the, 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 the best and worst thing about growing up is finding out that the adults are faking, too, right? I forget what, you know, I don't know what age you were. I, I, I know it was about the time I started having kids that I said, Wait a minute. You mean no one knows? <laughs> You're all faking it? Okay, well, I better roll my sleeves up and get busy here. Yeah, uh, I guess. Uh, but in terms of these two, I see, I, I read that today. Someone wrote, uh, uh, I guess, Eugene Robinson, or was it Charles Blow, that uh, Donald, that, you know, it's a common sports thing, that Barack Obama lives in Donald Trump's head. I actually don't think so. I just think that he likes taking shots. He'll take shot. He'll take shots back at a, 
at a rookie reporter from an unknown publication. So this guy insults him. He just fires back. I just was wondering well, if he'd be better off just holding his, holding his powder dry and waiting for Biden to do something stupid like come up with a nickname for Trump, Tweety. Okay, good. So at 77 years old, he's going to start with nicknames for the guy who made it his business to give nicknames. Yeah, the worst thing you can do with Trump is try to play his game, right? He's been playing it his entire adult life, uh, whether it was as the on the front page of New York tabloids and through his whole business career and his marriages and everything. You're not going to. Joe Biden uh, is not going to, you're right, at age 77, discover uh, his talents as a trash talker. Um, uh, but I will say this. Obama and Trump are Obama is not a rookie reporter. Uh, Obama is the guy whose humiliation of Trump at the White House Correspondents Dinner over Trump's birther business was part of what spurred Trump's decision to run for president. Right. It was Trump yep. sitting there in the room and Obama calling him out by name, shaming him in front of all the elites. That was part of what drove Trump to run for president. And also, we know that. Uh, that for Trump, he sees Obama as this malign figure, this person who who uh, tried to destroy his presidency, uh, the person behind what he calls Obamagate and all of this stuff. So Obama looms large, whether or not who is who's they're both. They're certainly trolling each other. Uh, who has got the upper hand in this troll war? I don't know. But I can say this, that if we have an election that is contested, uh, as a, a struggle between the current president and his predecessor, uh, that would be new. That would be new. Uh, that would be new to us. Uh, it would be uh, absolutely. And I'm just going to roll right now. All the times, and if you have this ready, Eric, uh, Bush 43 taking aim at Barack Obama. Go. Oh, there is none. All right. Okay, <laughs> uh, Eric, cue this up. Bill Clinton going off on George W. Bush. Oh, they're friends. All right. Um, do you think now Barack Obama, if I was going to look at his eight years, he really was going at and uh, Ga- and, and Secret- former Secretary of Defense Gates talked about that. He really went after him for five years. Look at the economy I left. Look at the war I'm in. Afghanistan wasn't right. Iraq was a mistake. The, uh, the car was for in five the years. Yep. Yeah. It's so, not attractive. Barack not Obama, attractive. who it, it isn't. Right. And, and this we're, we're it's something new, right? Something new began. So obviously, FDR blamed Herbert Hoover. But in the post uh, World War Two era. We, presidents, we had a president's club, right, where the new president turned the page from the old one, even if it didn't like him, even if it was a new party and tried to maintain some degree of comity and some degree of unity. And Obama uh, trashed Bush more. He didn't trash Bush the way that Trump trashes him, but he certainly blamed Bush longer and probably, you know, he, he wrote it into the 2012 election. I don't know how effective it was in the 2012 election. I certainly don't think it's going to be effective for Trump, but Obama did mark a a diversion from the historical trend about having a stiff up when you're there's only one president at a time and when you're president you keep a stiff upper lip upper lip and you don't blame the other guy 
you try to look forward. Obama uh, deviated from that pretty substantially, and now Trump has taken it into the stratosphere. Right. And I, I, you know, I mentioned Joe Biden. I probably should have led with this. He was also speaking out yesterday on another one of his addresses. It went really well. Let's listen. You're going to hear there's a pond on the other side of my property here. A lot of Canadian geese. If you hear them honking away, it's they're cheering. That's what they're about. <laughs> I don't know whose phone that is, but the scale of the loss is staggering. Right. It's been two months since Congress gave him that money. So that was very strong rebuttal to the president. And he really let the president know that he means business. Your thoughts? It's tough. I mean, Uncle Joe, oh, it's tough. It's, it's tough. But the best thing that Joe Biden has going for him, nobody cares what Joe Biden's doing. That is like the best thing day in and day out. Seriously. You know, Al Gore would have won the presidency in 2000 if he would have gone to study global warming ice levels in Antarctica for the last two months of the election. There is a lot to be said for being out of the news. And if you remember in 2016, there was the cycle where one of the candidates would get a little up on top and then people say, oh, I can't admit no way. But then they'd go down and they'd go back and forth. It's not good for Trump to be on the front page and leading every story every day, right? It's, it's there, Biden is at its, he looks foolish, but uh, it is better to be thought a fool, right, uh, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt is the saying attributed to Mark Twain. Biden is sitting in yes. that basement. It's foolish, but he's not making any news and he's not getting himself in any trouble. Chris Tyrell, thanks so much. Look out for the Canadian geese. And please, thanks uh-huh. and thank you for putting your phone on silent. I appreciate it. Back in a moment, I'll be on with Stuart Varney. You'll finally see what I look like. Bye, Chris. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Look forward to going on Fox Business. I tell you the truth, I'm looking at their programming right now. They're actually at the Fed chair and the Secretary of Treasury on talking to, it's so weird. They're talking to these guys on Zoom. Is it Zoom? I think it's Zoom or Skype. So no one's really there. And they're all talking to the Secretary of Treasury, and it looks like they're making speeches, and uh, they're talking about this next plan and why the rescue plan is not going through right now. Stuart Barnes on the Business Channel, number one show, and I would not be surprised if they decided to stay with this. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, so far, our channel is staying with it, Fox News Channel. I'm on Fox Nation, and we're about to simulcast on Fox Business, which is the fastest-growing cable channel in the country and the number one business channel in the country. And Stuart Varney's got the number one show, him and uh, him and on this Dobbs, Tuesday. Uh, seen bring forth. Direct so to Brian Kilmeade, host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on the radio. Hey, Brian, before we get started, I want you and our viewers to listen to what California's governor, Gavin Newsom, said about first responders possibly losing their jobs. Roll that tape, please. Well, the same folks that say it's dead on arrival, I hope they'll consider this. The next time they want to salute and celebrate our heroes, our first responders, our police officers and firefighters, uh, consider uh, the fact that they are the first ones that will be laid off by cities and counties. 
I don't get it, Brian. Why should first responders be the first to get laid off? They shouldn't be. But how do you win over Republicans uh, or people who are not sensitive to the budget deficit of California and what they're up against because they insist on spending so much and taxing so much? Firefighters and cops. And you think to yourself, wow, what are you supposed to do? No. How about looking at your budget and making some tough decisions like Florida has done in the past and Texas has done in the past? Why not that bullet train that's supposed to go inland and connect San Francisco to Los Angeles that does nothing but bleed money and it's stopped, but they will not release that money and don't stop spending on it, but nothing's being done on it. What about seizing that and taking that revenue and putting towards something else? Hey, how about finding a way to cut the $75 million, the $75 million that you're giving to undocumented, excuse me, illegal immigrants? They are getting grant money. Before you make, hard, make the government make hard decisions about what state deserves what, why don't you show them discipline on your side first? They'll always make it painful. They'll always make it painful. If you've got to cut anything, make it as painful as possible so you don't want to cut. Just give them the money. That's what it's all about all the time. We've seen Stuart, this before. I got, I got something else to add to this equation. How about this? If you know that you're getting bailed out by the government, what's the rush? What's the urgency to open up your state? What's the urgency to make budget cuts and make some tough fiscal, fiscal decisions? Zero. But if you make it clear that it's going to be like pulling teeth, that you're not going to get the $900 billion that you wanted. I mean, you had Gavin Newsom go together with the Washington uh, governor and the Oregon governor and say, we would like the Western state just to get $1 trillion, and we'll divide it up like we want. Where are we getting this money? Yeah, I'm with you all the way, Brian, all the way. Before we run out of time, I want you to, and our viewers to listen to what Nancy Pelosi said about the president. Roll tape, please. He's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientists, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. What? what did, you, did you hear that? Morbidly obese. Yeah. The Speaker of the House describes the President of the United States as morbidly obese. Good Lord. Go ahead. And could, hey, Stuart, can we get video of her going right from that shot with Anderson Cooper to praying for the president? Do we have any video? Oh, we don't. So maybe she's not praying for the president. And maybe she isn't that kind person that everyone uh, displays that, uh, that is looking for something greater than herself. That, to me, was a personal shot you expect on the sixth grade play, uh, uh, playground. It is unacceptable to be talking about people's looks, weight, height, or anything like that, especially yeah. at yeah. this point. In her life, is she vulnerable at all to people mocking her, uh, her, her looks? Are people going to talk about her age? It would be totally inappropriate if it was. And now she takes this shot of the president. I mean, it's just juvenile. Look, and you would expect more from the speaker. I don't think Paul Ryan would be doing that. But so much of it is personal animosity directed at the president. They never got over their loss. They truly detest this president. And it surfaces on every single issue. Personal animosity. Never going away. Final, final thought. Joe Biden, if he's president, that is the real president. That Speaker of the House will have all the power, writing legislation, telling Joe Biden what to do. Doesn't matter who the vice president is. She will be the pseudo uh, president of the United States. And that's who people should think about they're voting for. And that might be great. Maybe that, maybe that means she'll run away with the election. But just so people should be clear, she was the one who pushed Obamacare through. Barack Obama had given up on it. She says, I could figure out a way to do this, and she did it. And she'll find a way if she has somebody that she could roll over like Joe Biden, who's still wrestling with 
uh, Canadian geese and having problems shutting off his phone in his basement yesterday. Yeah. That who the, that's who the president will be. I think we were being perhaps a little unkind with the honking geese, but we ran it several times. Hey, Brian, you're all right. We'll see you again soon. That's a promise. Cheer up. Go get him, Stuart. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, let's go to Howard. Listen on KOIL in beautiful Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Howard. Brian, uh, President Trump could be so much more effective if instead of name-calling or use of empty adjectives like incompetent, if he would switch over to specific examples and overall results. When I heard, just a quick example, when I heard Carl Rove yesterday, he talked about a PPE decrease under Obama. That's a specific instead of these back-and-forth juvenile, as you just said, words, empty words. Absolutely. Uh, bad, worse, terrible, good, best ever, that he talks in superlatives. He always has. When you can get really specific and just say, hey, this is for one thing with Joe Biden. They say Joe Biden ran the stimulus package. He made sure that money went to the right places. Do you know that money did not go to the right places? Do you know there was no shovel ready projects? When they go look at what Joe Biden did, along with his Ukrainian policy, uh, I think that there's something vulnerable there. But the president will round it off by saying he did a terrible job with the stimulus. And I think you're right. And I think that that's up to Mike Pence and others and who are going to go out there and campaign for him to define it. So I, I think I, I think that's a point well taken. Uh, Richard, real quick, in uh, Montreal. Richard, what's on your mind? Yeah. Jim O'Neill both have had tremendous success. Yeah. We, uh, we're talking about hydroxychloroquine. I'll keep it for the next hour. The president's taking that. A lot of people say it helps. The media says it doesn't. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be and what I'm doing. Because I'm not sure. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. And thanks to all of you for making our ratings higher than ever before. I'm looking at these numbers and I can't believe it, but I'm flattered by it because all of you need the latest information and we like to think that we can stay up with it. Be able to use the access, uh, the, uh, all the assets of Fox, all our reporters, and give all the information, able to give a, a national perspective about what's going on. But I know most of you, and I don't blame you, are focused on what's happening in your city, what's happening with your job, and many of you for the first time are out of a job, I get it, 36 million, suddenly we're told to go home, take unemployment, you don't even know how to apply for it, some of it hasn't even arrived, an extremely challenging time, and I hope to be a beacon of light to bring you through it, Uh, we all do. Uh, Meanwhile, if you ever want to get the show and get the podcast, if you miss it and you want to be your own program director, go to briankillmeachow.com, you can also get us on iTunes by itself as well as get it on radio.com. Wherever you travel, you can just download that app. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What happened to the president in the 2016 election 
and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice, and it was unprecedented in American history. Wow, uh, that is Bill Barr, the Russia investigation, the Flynn investigation, and impeachment. Yes, all three storylines so prevalent over the last three years. Moving forward yesterday and today, we'll review the clashes at every level. Number two. While we're waiting for these medical treatments, get people back to work. Let them earn the money to pay their rent and put food on the table and sustain their lives as opposed to being locked down into government-forced poverty. Reopening renaissance. States red and even some blue open up and many rebel against the restrictions limiting their life and their welfare. We're going to do the best we can state by state to give you a report. Number one. So this was a very big day therapeutically, cure-wise and vaccine-wise. And a lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. I happen to be taking it. What? <laughs> Medical breakthroughs and a presidential admission. Stock soars, the vaccine moves forward on turbo speed while the president shocks the press with a pronouncement on taking hydroxychloroquine along with zinc. Uh, let the frenzy begin. And it has. First off, the good news. Uh, Moderna has come up uh, with some very positive results for the coronavirus vaccine trial. Uh, the company, and by the way, this sent the market up yesterday about 1,000 points. Uh, the company leads the race to develop a coronavirus uh, announce a positive early finding. So what is it? Monday, with participants producing antibodies to ward off the disease, that's the early findings, the biotech company dosed 45 patients uh, between the ages of 80, 18 to 55 and 2,500 or 250 milligrams of an experimental drug. After receiving a second booster shot, those at the 25 and 100 dosage levels were found with antibody levels that were equal to or exceeding those found in patients recovering from COVID-19. So they're able to shoot the antibodies into somebody, and so far, 100%. This is astounding, even though it's still months off. Once they're in production on it, everything else is going to hit hyperspeed. We know the protocols. We know things to avoid. We know how to avoid the wrong people. This could be huge news, and great news for Moderna as well. And the president said, I think I got a great announcement uh, for a cure. But... For the most part, you have a situation where everyone was focused on the president saying, I'm taking hydroxychloroquine, and that came out unannounced. And listen to it, Nancy, uh, really surprised, okay? Um, not that it's bad. There was an NYU study saying it works. There's a French study that says it works. There's a Chinese study that says it works. But this is a big deal. The, the press could not believe the president said this. Cut six. Let that sink in for a moment. The leader of the free world taking a drug that shows no apparent benefits for what he's taking it for. I think there's a high probability that he's really not taking the drug. And I think you would need to have some real evidence to suggest that this is not mm. just another uh, tall tale of his. He shouldn't be taking it. There's right now, to be clear, no evidence that it works. Two major studies of hydroxychloroquine in patients who have coronavirus have shown no benefit, none. But to President Trump, the science doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter at all. With that statement, even though he got it from a doctor who I believe likes science. Dr. Amin Oskout was on with Laura Ingram last night just to show you a different view. Dr. Manny at Fox says we should not have done this. Uh, Dr. Siegel says it saved my dad's life. I like it. I have no problem with a doctor's supervision, him taking it. Here's Dr. Amin Oskout on with Laura last night. Cut eight. 
The problem is a lot of these major medical centers are trying to force patients into clinical trials, which they have to make huge amounts of money on. Uh, hydroxychloroquine has, has outcomes data that's very favorable in France, in Italy, uh, in China. Uh, there's a reason why several countries confiscated the entire national stock. France did this in late of March. So I, I think that we shouldn't have pharmacists or doctors mm-hmm. that uh, have a secondary gain blocking physicians from working in a patient-doctor relationship as we've done for decades. And specifically, I didn't know what he was referring to, but I like the overall, there's a reputable doctor who has a counter view, which should be, well, the president's taking it, uh, I wonder how important it is. Instead, the president's taking it and he's being irresponsible. Uh, I, I agree with Mark Cuban, though, following up with what the hell do I have to lose? Not the best reason to take medicine, but that's Donald Trump. Reopening America, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, Donald Trump says he's getting the feeling that we're starting to do that. And it is. It's happening over and over again. Uh, The president says we need to reopen. We don't have a choice. It's happening in Texas. It's happening in Arkansas. There are different increments, different phases, but it is moving in the right direction. Happening in Ohio to a certain degree. I think that for the most part in Georgia, it has been a wildly successful risk being the first. In Colorado, so far so good. In Florida, astoundingly good. Here's the Texas governor last night. Uh, talking about the cases and the deaths. There was slightly up because they were having a, a problem with the meatpacking area. That elevated the numbers. But so far, numbers are coming down. Cut 14. When Texas reopened even more for business, maybe as open as uh, any state in the country, today also was the lowest number of COVID deaths since April the 3rd. Yesterday was the lowest number of COVID-related hospitalizations uh, since the middle part of April. Texas has a downward trend of those testing positive for COVID-19 as a percent of all the people testing positive. So all the trends are going good in Texas, and Texas is opening up business. Know this, as we gather today, according to the Dallas Federal Reserve, Texas has the lowest unemployment rate of any large state in America, and we're going to be adding more jobs by the day. That's amazing. And a lot of people are leaving California because it's such a mess. It's a beautiful state, but it's just been running to the ground. Texas daycare centers, bars can open up this week. Texas and California move towards allowing sports teams to return. That's all good. Earlier in the day, Governor Cuomo said the same thing about the sports leagues uh, and opening up. But for people that don't want to open up, they want to say they're going slow, but I think they want to keep things slow to make sure the president's economy doesn't turn around. I think this is going to boomerang on these governors and their party For example, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, cut 19. We're confident that in some regions of the state, they've just not been hit as hard with COVID-19, and they are in a better position to begin phasing in sectors of their economy. Starting this Friday, people in those regions, starting Friday at 12.01 a.m. to be exact, people in those regions can reopen retail businesses, restaurants, and bars with limited seating. So this is a, a new way of dining but we're going to be very careful and we're going to engage slowly. So you take your time. Don't worry about the restaurants. Don't worry about the gyms. Don't worry about the bait and tackle shop. You just take your time. When instead of saying, I trust you to go shopping for food, I can trust you for go shopping for clothes. That would be an interesting leap of faith. Talk about leap of faith. Here's somebody I have no faith in, nor should you. If you are stuck in New York and see a three-day weekend coming your way and you see the numbers dipping, falling off the charts in all good ways, you might be optimistic 
that you'd be able to enjoy yourself at the beach. Mayor de Blasio, cut 22. If you want to walk on the beach, you know, fine, enjoy that. But uh, no swimming, no lifeguards, no parties, you know, no barbecues, no sports. It's just it's just open space that you can walk on, uh, take it in and then get back home. Who are you to tell me to go home? What, why is that okay? You know what's happening? You probably don't know this if you're not living in New York, but you just go to Long Island. And you overcrowd those beaches to make it impossible to socially distance those beaches, which means it's going to be so much harder to police those beaches with cops who don't want to do it to begin with and who can blame them. We have to reopen this country. It's not a matter of being reckless. It's, the only, it's our only hope. Byron York's coming up next. We'll talk about if politics is playing a role in opening this up. I believe it is. Uh, I think they don't want to turn around the Trump economy and they want to go out of their way to say he's not getting me testing. He's not getting me whatever I need, ventilators, PPE. I had no choice but to take my time. Blame the president. I could see through it. I know you can see through it. Byron York next. Then Trace Atkins, who's tall with a very good voice, with a very good message on Memorial Day. And then Brian Baldinger, one of the finest analysts on the NFL Network or in the NFL period, 13-year pro, will join us and talk about what the players and management are saying about getting the NFL back on the field in the fall and what about college. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. But I think Obama and Biden knew about it. Uh, They were participants, but... uh, so I'm a little surprised by that statement. But if it was me, I guarantee they'd be going after me. Uh, in his case, uh, they're not. So I think it's just a continuation of a double standard. I'm surprised by it. Uh, and by the way, this is the most transparent administration I know, for better or for worse. The AG came out and said, yeah, we're doing an investigation. From what I know of John Dorm's investigation, we're not going after Biden and Obama. The president has to react, says, I'm surprised. Byron York is the chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor. Uh, Byron, are you surprised that the AG took Obama and Biden off the table? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. No, look, it would take a lot to uh, indict a former uh, president, a former vice president. And I, Look, I think one uh, fault that a lot of people have shown uh, in all this, uh, as they did in previous scandals, is wanting, wanting somebody to scalp for this, wanting somebody to hang for this. What, what we need to do is find out what happened. We need, we do need to find out what Joe Biden knew, what Barack Obama knew. We had some enticing hints in uh, some documents that were released with the uh, Michael Flynn case, uh, showing that President Obama on January fifth, twenty seventeen, knew about the Flynn wiretap. Did he? Did he just know about it? Did he approve it? Did, what? We don't know. Uh, so there's a lot more to learn. That's the big thing. Yeah, um, there is a lot more to learn. I have a sense that the attorney general did one of the best things possible, and that show he's not in the pocket of the president. I like that he said what he said, because if, the, if it becomes overwhelming that President Obama and Biden were involved intimately and directed this, things will take care of themselves. Don't you agree, Byron? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 if you think back to the whole Trump-Russia matter, secrecy has always been on the side of the accusers because they would say, oh, we found out there was this meeting. Now, we can't tell you anything about it, but it looks really bad. I mean, how many times did <laughs> we hear some news or some commentary saying there's something that's really terrible to Blockbuster, but we can't really tell you what it is? We need full transparency on all of this stuff. Yeah, so the other thing, there's so much that came out yesterday uh, on this on this end. You had stuff moving on the Flynn case, you had things moving on the Russia investigation, and you have uh, things moving on um, uh, things moving through the uh, impeachment. Now they're talking about impeachment again in order to get the uh, the uh, the grand jury testimony from all these people that helped out with the Mueller report. So it's up to the Supreme Court to say, okay, it's okay for Congress to see it. It would be a huge mistake and a bad precedent. But among the people that's going to get questioned, along with Sally Yates, Andy McCabe, uh, and James Comey, is going to be John Brennan. Do you believe he's sincere when he said this? Cut 44. I feel very good that uh, my tenure at CIA and my time at the White House during the Obama administration was uh, not, I was not engaged in any type of wrongdoing or uh, activities that uh, caused me to worry about what this investigation may uncover. Uh, so I welcome uh, the opportunity to talk with the investigators. I have nothing to hide. Uh, I have not yet been uh, interviewed by any of those individuals involved in this uh, matter, uh, but I am willing to do so. You think he's really willing to do so? <laughs> well, well, we'll find out. I mean, he's the one who gets to, who right now is defining what was wrong doing and what was not. Here again, we need to find out what he did, what was his role in the, um, uh, in the intelligence community assessment uh, what was what did he know about uh, contacts with sort of some of these mysterious figures who pop up in the uh, in the Trump Russia matter, like the mysterious Professor Mifsud and in Europe, and and there's and what did he know about the other um, the intelligence agencies around the world, the Five Eyes, the Downer, all of that stuff. There's there's a lot. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not accusing him of anything, but the the problem. Remember the Horowitz report. Michael Horowitz was the Inspector General of the Justice Department, and he was investigating the Justice Department's part in all this. But he couldn't talk to people outside the Justice Department, like John Brennan. Uh, John Durham can do that, and so hopefully, I, I can't imagine a Durham report without having talked to John Brennan. Yeah, so they're going to be a vote in the Senate. Lindsey Graham says, you know, I'm going to put it to a vote. If we have a vote, we're going to call all these people, uh, uh, Rod Rosenstein, Christopher Ray, Sally Yates, uh, Dennis McDonough, Andrew McCabe, as I mentioned, uh, Brennan, James Baker, the CIA, James Clapper, uh, Jacob Liu, the Treasury Secretary, Loretta Lynch, the former Attorney General. I mean, this could really be explosive and has so much to do with the election. Whoever is able to do this is really going to affect... Uh, the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign. Well, let me just caution. Let's see how much Lindsey Graham actually does of all this. Um, sometimes he gets excited and talks a lot. Um, we'll see how many people actually get called before the Senate, much less who actually testify to the Senate. But, um, you know, we got much more aggressive um, investigation into this when, Repu when Republicans controlled the House. 
um, where they could do things on a less bipartisan basis than you can in the Senate. Uh, but they don't control the House. Democrats control the House. We saw that pretty big time in the impeachment matter. So um, we'll see what Lindsey Graham actually does with all that. I know. The president's getting a little impatient, isn't he? Well, you know, he, he said he was uh, surprised about uh, um, Barr taking Obama and, and Biden sort of off the table. Uh, but I'm, I don't think he should have been. I mean, uh, and I'm not maybe he wasn't really, really surprised about it. But here's the big thing. This uh, Durham investigation is going on. It is already mid-May. There's an election in November. And if Democrats win, believe me, there will be no investigating in any of this kind of stuff. It'll stop right, I think you're right. there, cold. So this needs to get done, and um, people need to know, and it'd be be- it would be better before the next election if they knew what happened in the last election. That would be great. Byron York's got a brand-new newsletter. It's called the Byron York uh, Byron York's Daily Memo. A clear and concise briefing delivered each weekday, just like he speaks, just like he writes. It'll all be in that, that, that same style, be in your Daily Memo. Byron, thanks so much. Good luck with this. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Meanwhile, coming up next, how do you salute Memorial Day? Country music legend Trace Atkins lets us know. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Then Brian Baldinger. We talk a little NFL. Getting back on the field. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilme, that is the voice of Trace Atkins, uh, one of the most respected, kindest, uh, nicest guys you'll ever meet in country music. Extremely talented, extremely hardworking. In fact, I always, just, I always listen to his station channel, 61 on Sirius, uh, Y2K. It's uh, great country music. If you want something a little bit different, a little bit lighter, that gets the country music people angry, you listen to The Highway. That's channel 56. Trace Atkins, award-winning multi-platinum country music singer. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. <laughs> You're still trying to start trouble, aren't you, me? I'm not trying to start trouble. I just wish you were here. I'm used to seeing you with uh, the ponytail and the hat and the six foot four muscly frame. Well, you know what? We we miss getting out. I guarantee you that. I, this is a strange time for us, and uh, but uh, yeah, we're we're still doing the best we can. So just talking on. The, Talking on the radio will have to do for now, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's good to have a multi-talented. You said, I mean, what a great voice, obviously. And if you want to hear him, you could hear how great he sounds on the radio. But listen, you're doing something real special, uh, paying tribute on Memorial Day weekend. Everyone's calling audibles in their life. Uh, and now you're calling an audible, have a different type format, but you're still saluting the troops. How are you doing it? Uh, which is, this, is, this show is going to air May 24th on PBS Sunday at 8 o'clock, Trace. What are we going to be hearing? Well, that song you just uh, played, Still a Soldier, I'm doing that song on the show, and uh, and, uh, another another song as well that that I think is in the right tone and pays tribute and 
uh, you know, we we went to I went to D.C. a couple of weeks ago and actually uh, recorded my portion of, of the show, standing on top of a building downtown with the Capitol Dome in the background. And I mean, it was still an awe-inspiring uh, scene, but very surreal. I mean, because when I looked down, there was literally nobody there. So, you know, it was kind of strange uh, doing it, but. You know, these, these folks uh, that do this show, I've done it um, a few times in the past, and they're just uh, such pros at, at putting this thing together and, and keeping the right tone and paying tribute to the men and women who have served and, and, and sacrificed. And, you know, this year will be no different. I'm, I'm confident. I mean, if, if you watch the show in the right frame of mind, it'll it'll it'll, it'll do what it's supposed to do. It'll, it'll pay tribute and... Um, I'm, I'm I'm proud to be a part of it again. I always, it's really the highlight of my year. Anytime I get to be a part of, of this show, you know, we see how you always do stuff with the troops. They see you at Wounded Warrior event every year. This is going to be co-hosted by uh, a good friend of our show. Will be on tomorrow, Gary Sinise, uh, Joe Montagna, a legendary actor, great actor. Uh, other people on the show include uh, Sam Elliott, Lawrence Fishburne, Mary McCormick. Uh, uh, we also have Kelly O'Hara. And you also have the National Symphony Orchestra. It's going to be 90 minutes, so it's going to be packed, all of the themes, saluting the troops. It's going to be strange, but you know one thing I know in every city listening to us right now, uh, where National Trace, is that there is a, there is a, a, there is a cemetery, uh, a military cemetery that you can visit in your area and pay tribute. Even if everything's different, I don't think they can bar you from a cemetery. Am I correct? I'm the wrong guy to ask about that, man. I don't know, but uh, if they if they aren't, that is a good idea and something that would be appropriate to do. Absolutely. And by the way, you can follow Trace Atkins at Trace Atkins. Now, Trace, just about you, I've been talking to different performers. They say this is like no other time in their lives. For you, I know you opened up, you're a football player, you were on an oil rig for a while, you made the transition to country music and music and performing. Is this the longest period of time since the days working on the oil rig that you have gone without performing in front of an audience? Well, this is the longest I've yeah, this is the longest I've been home since I got out of high school. <laughs> you know, it's, wow, uh, it's been a really strange, strange time. You know, I've made my living for the last 20 years traveling uh, around the country and around the world. So, yeah, this has been uh, an adjustment for sure. Trace, what do they tell you about when you think you can get in front of an audience again? Are they saying forget about 2020, wait for the new year, or are there some, some hope for the summer? You know, we're we're being optimistic, and it's, and it's not just us. It's the promoters. Uh, we still have... We have Everything's been canceled through June, but there are still dates on the books in July, uh, and uh, that's coming from the promoters. They're still hopeful that, that we'll be able to, to get back on the road then. Um, so, I, you know, that's just a day-by-day thing. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I feel confident that uh, maybe by the end of the summer, early fall, we'll be able to get back out there. I, I hope so. I mean, I... I don't know for sure. Nobody does, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. Some people say that there's going to be a creative boon when we get back. 
between the comedians and the screenwriters and the producers and the musicians, you're able to use this time to be creative. Do you feel like you're able to use this, da- this downtime for the first time maybe in your music career to, to get creative? Yeah, and actually, we're you know we're able to uh, still do some stuff. You know, uh, as far as getting in the studio and, and doing it safely, and, and uh, you know we can separate the band, spread them out, and do all that stuff, and, and still be kind of safe. And so um, we're still doing some work. Hopefully, we're going to have a new album. Uh, next year and so yeah we're we're still working through this thing and not of course not as we're not as busy as we normally are but uh, we're still doing some things awesome all right i look forward to hearing it uh trace atkins good luck on your show i guess you did it already but we see it all come together over the course of 90 minutes may 24th uh from 8 to 9 30 in this memorial day weekend uh, Trace, can't thank you enough. I look forward to seeing you in person again soon. Yeah, thank you, bro. Thank you, my friend. You got it. Uh, the great Trace, Act- uh, Trace Atkins. And you can follow him and find out what he's producing at Trace Atkins over on Twitter. So listen, when we come back, we're going to take a little break from the world of, of, uh, of news, pandemic, uh, politics, and talk a little about the National Football League. What is the mood of the players, the owners, the general managers as we try to get back in the field? How can you actually go through a season without much of a preseason? Can you expect to play in September if you're not practicing in August? How many weeks do you actually need? Will there be a preseason game? And what about the players? Are they reluctant to get on the field? Are they going to have extensive rules like baseball of no spitting, masks in the dugout? You have to stay in the team hotel. You have to eat in the team hotel. You basically have to stay together as a team over the next four months as you try to play a baseball season. What about the National Football League? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Baldinger from the NFL Network, uh, New York's own, joins us. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're going to hear there's a pond on the other side of my property here. A lot of Canadian geese. If you hear them honking away, it's they're cheering. That's what they're about. The scale, the scale of the loss is staggering. I don't know whose phone that is, but the scale of the loss is staggering. It's been two months since Congress gave them that money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I hear the thing about Biden. He doesn't have a good staff. I mean, they, they put him in the worst spots, period, and they have not corrected anything. Now they got him in a place where at least he's on ground level and he could see outside, but they're not helping him. I mean, one thing about Bush, he had a great team. One thing about Obama, he had a great team. But the one thing about Biden, he has, he has been a terrible campaigner. He had a terrible team. He had almost no money. Now he's got money. And somebody thought it would be a great idea to leave him in his house for the last three months. And they have no plans to let him out either. Now it's time to take a break from all this and go from politics to sports. We're all seeking, after weeks of dealing with this difficult virus and the unprecedented crisis that it's brought on, and we see our healthcare workers and first responders are just uh, doing heroic things 
I think we all need something to look forward to. We need something to come together. And so I agree with you on the hope. I agree with you on the optimism and looking forward and looking to the future. And I told that to these young players the other day when I was speaking to them is they're a big part of that in their community. They are going to bring hope to their communities and to their teams. I think it's an important role for us right now in this environment. Uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell, uh, a short time ago, talking about the need to get this t- this uh, league running in the fall. Even if they have to delay it, that'll be fine, but they are scheduled to go on time. There'll be almost no offseason, and the preseason will be truncated. I don't. That's not news to my next guest. He is Brian Baldinger, NFL's uh, network analyst. He does as much research, works as hard, and provides more insight than just about anybody I've ever met. And he is a great guy who spent 13 years in the NFL and still in really good shape with good knees. Dallas Cowboys, Indianapolis. Uh, he played for Indianapolis Colts in Philadelphia. Brian Baldinger, welcome back uh, to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate you being here. Well, thanks, Brian. How you doing today, man? Good to be with you, buddy. Yeah, we just need a little break from politics, and you can provide that, but you're not too not a break from the pandemic. The first things first, I don't know if you've ever worn one of those N95 masks, but it's one of the things the NFL is leaning on, perhaps, to cover the faces of the players to protect them in and out from the coronavirus. I've heard people with them, and they say they feel like they're suffocating. Have you heard anything about this? Are they that into experimenting with something like that? Well, I think everything is on the table right now, Brian. I mean, I don't think they've eliminated any any plausible things from you know from face masks. I mean, I could I could see them all wearing shields. I mean, the shield would that a lot of players wear to protect their eyes and things you know getting into their their eyes. I mean, I could see shields being you know mandatory on on all helmets as face masks, and that would eliminate a lot of anybody breathing or any type of body fluids, you know, coming out of somebody in a tackle or a pile or anything like that. But I think everything is sort of on the table at this point to try to figure out what's the safest method to, you know, to get this league started and up and running this summer. So, so Brian, I know you had a chance to meet with various teams. They were all on your speed dial, whether it's the Eagles, Jets, uh, the teams you used to play for, or just keeping updated. First off, the attitude of the player it seems like the basketball players are very weary getting back on the court. Could you describe some of the guys that you've talked to? How do they feel about no preseason, no meetings, and just maybe getting back there in the summer and then playing games? What, what is their thought pattern? Well, you know, you know, the NBA is in a little bit different seat, Brian. You know, they, they, they had started their season, was halfway through the season when the league got, got shut down by Adam Silver, the commissioner, and, you know, some players had contagious the virus. And so there's like a, you know, there's a real contact there, a real history right there in the NBA of players, you know, surviving this. So in the NFL, that, that, hasn't, that hasn't happened. They, they still have four months to try to figure this all out. Uh, the players that I've been around, they want to play. And now that's not, I'm not speaking for 1,800 here, Brian. I've been around some yeah, I know. working out yeah. with them. I've seen them, you know, I've seen them at different facilities and they want to play and are prepared to play. But I can't really speak for 1800 players right now and how they feel about it at this point, which is a long ways away from September 10th when the season kicks off. You know, the NFL has got a real opportunity here. They've been so uh, forward thinking. They made sure they still pulled off the draft. They announced their schedule, providing uh, a lot of hope for a lot of people who even aren't into football like you are. 
uh, or don't necessarily go to the NFL Network all the time. People want to see some normalcy. Do you think this is an opportunity also for football? All the controversy with the kneeling and things, some controversy around the game. Uh, this is a chance to really turn the page and get everyone in their corner. Do you see it that way? I do. I, I, mean, I do. I think this can really galvanize the country in a lot of ways. I mean, whether, like you said, Brian, whether you're a real football fan or casual fan or diehard, I mean, I think it has a chance to really galvanize. I can imagine this, Brian. I can imagine a scene one Sunday afternoon when an actual stadium is full. I mean, I, I can actually see a, a full stadium with, you know, real fans, and they're all kind of looking at each other. And it could be, let's just say, Cowboys and Eagle fans that have never gotten alongside in the stadium. But I can see a Cowboys-Eagles game where fans are looking, are looking way beyond, uh, you know, the, the partisan feel for each team and, like, just hugging each other, just being in a social setting where people – feel like it's all the way back normal. I mean, I think that has a chance of happening at some point this season. It might not be in September, but I think by the time we get to December, I think there's a real opportunity for that. And football will kind of mark our progress all the way through uh, as we sort of hopefully exit this pandemic, you know, sometime this season. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Also, there's things going on in the offseason. I never remember more high-profile quarterback changing teams are coming back. First off, everybody's talking about Brady and Gronkowski, and some people have said, even though they're experienced, not being able to play with your full team you know, in the spring and in the summer, which is going to be a shorter preseason in any scenario, that's really going to hurt them early. Is, is, do you subscribe to that conventional wisdom? Well, I don't, no, I don't, I don't subscribe to it. Uh, yes, timing is really important, and the more you can – you know, throw to your new teammates, um, you know, before the season begins, the, the better the timing is going to be. But, you know, Brady has 20 years of experience. He's had Antonio Brown come in to New England last year, and in three days, you know, he threw his touch, first touchdown pass to him, and he caught four passes that day. And that was a guy that, you know, came in for a week, and he was able to build some timing. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has 20 years of experience of guys coming off the street, coming back from – uh, you know, whether it's in the reserve or being traded for. I mean, I think he'll use his experience and his wisdom um, to the best of his ability. And if it's a truncated right. uh, off season, then he'll figure out a way to make it work in whatever limited experience they have. When you look at Philip Rivers real quick with the Colts, we have a lot of Indianapolis fans listening right now. Do you think, he, you think he's got a lot left in the tank? And is that team... Uh, complimentary to his skills? Yeah, I do think so. And the reason why he signed there with Frank Reich, he knew Frank. Frank was an assistant coach there in San Diego with Phillip. They have a good experience. He knows the offense real well. And it's probably the best offense line that he's ever played behind. And so you give Phillip Rivers protection, I, I think he can play at a, at a Pro Bowl level uh, in Indianapolis this summer or this year. Lastly, Brett. Your prediction, Brian, with your pandemic expertise and your knowledge of the football game, are we playing in September? Yes. Yes, I, I fully believe that we're going to play in September, Brian. I think the season is going to go off uh, as scheduled right now. It may not be in front of live fans or limited fans, but I believe. You believe? I believe that answer is yes. 
Brian Baldinger, fellow Massapequa guy, one of the best in the business at Baldy NFL. You get breakdowns on NFL films on Twitter like I've never seen before. Brian, thanks. Thanks to all of you for listening. Truly appreciate it. The best of sports, the best of pandemic. We're on the comeback. Keep it here. Brian, kill me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.